Thanks for joining us on the Southside Church Podcast. We seek to build real followers of Jesus, so we hope that you find this message both encouraging and insightful. Let's jump in. Well, hello. Thanks for joining us today. We're super excited about our time together. We are so thankful that you would join and be a part of this service with us uh, here at Southside Church. Thank you for uh, just just jumping in, and I hope that that God uses this time uh, that we spend together to to grow you in your faith, that, that you would learn more about Him and who He is, and therefore, who does that make you out to be? And so today, we're going to continue our, our message series. We're talking about the discipleship pathway and, and how we want people, how we believe God wants people to move along a pathway of growth in their life, and, and that's a we want people to know God. We want people to find community. We want people to grow deeper, and we want people to make disciples to further that uh, in their life and share what God's doing. And so in this in this series that we're in right now, this portion of the series, rather, we're in growing deeper, and, and we're talking about a family member, uh, what, what, what a disciple is, and, and, and the components of that uh, lifestyle, and one is a family member, being part of the family of God and what that means being a worshiper, a servant, a steward, and a witness. And so today, in our, in our time together, we're going to drill down a little bit into what being a servant really means. What does serving others really mean? And, and what does that look like for us as a disciple of Christ, as someone who, who belongs to the family of God and wants to make a difference for his kingdom and be in, not only impacted by it, but impact others in that way? And so we're going to jump right in today. And we're going to, I believe in our time together, I hope that, that we do this, we're going to ask, answer some questions and then look at how Jesus lived his life and then what example that is for us. And so we're going to start by answering the question, what is a servant? It's a great question. What is a servant? A servant, the, a, a more biblical definition is this, someone who, who lives to meet the needs of others. And you see this in, in all different kinds of ways, in all different areas in our culture and, and worldwide, but it, it really is about being focused on the needs or the desires of another person rather than yourself. Rather than, than, than serving myself, rather than meeting my needs or, 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 or focused on myself, a servant is focused on the needs of someone else. In, in the biblical viewpoint, though, it would be someone who lives to glorify God in their life and to do His will. This is very clear in Scripture. Our purpose is to, to love and serve Christ and then to love and serve others as ourselves. That's what Scripture tells us to do, the, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to, to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and, and serving is driven out of a heart of love. And so Jesus set a pretty good example of this in, in, in his time on earth and, and, and even uh, as, as, he, as he left this world from a fleshly standpoint. But we see this in uh, just some small examples of this in John chapter 5. Says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I can do nothing on my own. I, I judge only as I hear and my judgment is righteous. But he says, as it's important to our message today, he says, I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John, even again in John chapter 6, verse 38, he says, Jesus is speaking again. He says, I came down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And so Jesus in, in, in the flesh is modeling for us what he wants us to live. And he's saying, I, I, I'm not here to do my own will, but I'm here to do the will of the one who sent me. He is acknowledging that his will is suppressed so that he can follow the will of the father. 
He came to do his own will, to do God's will, not his own. And Jesus in the flesh sets this example for a servant. And so I think it's very, very clear what a servant is, is someone in a biblical worldview, in a biblical viewpoint, is somebody who lives their life to serve God and to, to, to love God and serve God and to love others and serve them as well the way Christ did for us. And so maybe the next question we would look at is, is all right, so now we know what a servant is, but, but why do we serve? Like, like, why do we serve? If I'm speaking in a discipleship pathway and talking about uh, people who belong to the family of God, who long to, 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 to please God in their life, to honor God in their life, to love him and serve him and love others and serve them. We want to find out why, like, why, but why do we serve? Like, I hear you telling me what it is, but why? And here's a great reason, because God is worthy of our service and our praise. God alone is worthy of our service and our praise. See, when we serve others, we glorify God. As much as Jesus came and served and, and, and the Father was glorified by that, serving is one way we worship. We're going to talk about, wor- we've already talked about rather about worship. We talked about worship in a previous message, that component of worship as a disciple. What does that mean and look like? And, and so one of the ways we worship is by serving God and serving others. And, and the reason why we do this is because God alone is worthy of your praise. He's worthy of your, of your worship. He's worthy of your service. Revelation 4, it's a great passage. Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things. And because of your will, they exist and were created. You see, God created this world that we live in. He created you and me. And, and one of the things that we were created to reflect the image of the, of, the, of the God that created us. We were created to worship and honor the God that created us. And so when we, why we serve is because God is worthy of that. He is worthy to receive this glory and honor and power. According to his word, he is worthy of it. But another reason we serve, another why, is because God can't, God's kingdom is better than ours. God's kingdom is so much better than ours. Our, our kingdom, honestly, is built on pride and selfishness because it's focused on us. And you may not, that may not be true for you. I, I don't know, but I know for me, when I focus on my world and my kingdom and, and, and I focus on what I want, it's based generally in pride and selfishness. And Paul addressed this to, to get into God's word today and, and to be very specific about this. Paul addressed this in the book of Philippians. And so if you've got a Bible and you want to follow along there, I'll put the passages here on the screen as well. But in chapter 2, Paul is talking to the church in, in Philippi. And, and he's talking to them right out of the gate in chapter 2. He's talking to them about unity. The first couple of verses, he talks to them about unity and, and, and how to accomplish that. But listen to these first couple of verses. Paul says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if, if any consolation, he says, If there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, if there's any of that. So, man, if if there's any encouragement and love and following Christ and fellowship with the Holy Spirit, he says, then fulfill my joy. Make my joy complete, one translation says by Paul. He says, by thinking the same way. This is where he's compelling the church. He's, He's trying to get the church to understand. It's important as a group of people, as a body of believers, as we're talking about the body, the family members, we're talking about that in this series. He says, it's important that you think the same way, that you have the same love, that you share the same feelings, and you focus on one goal. 
That's what Paul is, is encouraging this church to, to see and understand and as to why they, they, the unity is so important. But then in verse 3, he, he shifts a little bit and he starts talking to them about how to accomplish that unity. And so Paul in, in Philippians 2, 1 and 2 is talking about, man, it's a little more sarcasm, a little bit of sarcasm, like, like he's saying, it's almost like he's saying, since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is this fellowship in the Spirit. He's saying, since we have that as in a relationship with Jesus, he said, I want you to do these things. I want you to have this, I want you to think the same way. I want you to love the same way. I want you to have the same feelings about things. I want you to be united in this so that we can accomplish the goal. But then in verse 3, he shifts a little bit and he says, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. You see, in verse 3, he talks about not don't do anything out of rivalry or conceit, but to focus on the needs of others. That's the, the challenge of a disciple, the, the challenge of a servant as we follow Christ and serve and love people in that way, in the way that he did, is that we don't do anything out of rivalry and, conce- and or conceit. He says everyone should look out not for his own interest, but for all, also for the interest of others. You see, rivalry, it's about me being better than you. It's about competition. That's what rivalry is. We, we talk about rivalry week in, in, in college football and college sports and in our high school footballs and, and things like football games and things. And so this, this competition, this rivalry, Paul says, don't do anything to compete with one another for status. He says, don't, don't, don't do that. But rivalry says, I'm the greatest. I'm better. I'm, I'm the greatest, man. I'm, compete, I'm competing for status in this way is what rivalry is. And I don't have to explain that to you. I, I remember uh, Muhammad Ali, one of, the, one of the greatest boxers of all time, one of the greatest fighters of all time. In February of 1964, they caught Muhammad Ali saying, he, he very clearly, unmistakably said, I am the greatest of all time. He said, maybe when I get old, y'all might be able to take me. But right now, I am the greatest. And it was about competition. He wanted to be the best at his craft. And secretly, I think honestly, if I'm being honest, secretly I, I, I'm kind of competitive, and so I, I I struggle with that sometimes. I struggle with that. Like if if me and my son are out in the, in the yard playing basketball, I'm just telling you right now, he's not going to win. I, I I might not cheat to win, but I can promise you, he's not going to win. It's about winning. So many times, life is about rivalry, and and being a servant. That's not the model that Christ set. In Matthew chapter 20, it, it's a great. A great example of this, and I love this passage, and I'm just gonna, just gonna give you a real quick paraphrase of what happened, but, but Jesus is there with his disciples in, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 20, verse, uh, verses 20 through 28. Jesus is with his disciples, and, and the, and uh, the mom of his, a couple of his disciples says, uh, you know, we, I want my children to sit on your right and left hand in your kingdom. She's asking that these, these guys desire, there's so much in that passage, these guys desired position. They wanted to, they wanted to be higher than. They, they were seeking this, this uh, position or this status, right? They wanted to be the greatest among uh, the disciples. I mean, they wrestled with it at this point in time with, with Jesus in the flesh. Why wouldn't we think we would? But these guys are, are, are wrestling with this conversation with, with Christ, and, and, and he says, you don't know what you're asking. And they're like, no, 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 we're good. We, we know what we're asking for. We can handle it. Like, we, we, we're ready. We're good. 
But Jesus finishes his his comments to them and he says just one thing, live your manner in a in a live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. He says in Philippians, he's in chapter one, he says that. He says, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. And, and what that what that ties back to in Matthew 28, he says the gospel is not about status for, for you as a servant. He says that the, actually the, the way to be greatest in the kingdom of God, the way to be greatest in God's eyes is to be the least, to serve others. He says it's, it's more like moving down the ladder of success. Like if you want to be the greatest, you'll be the least of these. He says this is so countercultural for us, especially in, in, in America. Like, we, we don't understand that as easily. Tony Evans, uh, Pastor Tony Evans says it this way. He says, sometimes people think being a Christian means having no aspirations. Jesus didn't condemn these guys for wanting to, 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 to be great. He just said, he condemned, Pastor Evans says, rather he condemned the worldly method for achieving it. And so the, the struggle in, in serving and in, in rivalry is it's about competition. And Jesus said, that's the way the world tries to get it. I'm telling you there's a different way. There's another way. He says, don't Paul says in Philippians 2, he says, don't do anything out of rivalry or conceit. And so conceit is thinking too highly about yourself. And again, I, I feel like this is more about status. I, it's, it's just about me. It's a, it's, it's a way I view myself and probably shapes how I view others. Uh, I, I read this this week, a humble mind is the key to cooperative unity. Remember, we started the passage in Philippians 2 talking about unity in the church and unity in the the biblical community. He says, a humble mind is the key to cooperative unity. Humility is the realization that we are creatures who are totally dependent on God, the Creator. If we are really humble before God, we are totally relying on Him. This affects our attitude towards others for as equally dependent creatures, we cannot take pride in ourselves. And so I, I read this this week as well. Serving, one pastor said, serving is the measure of greatness because it takes great power to conquer selfishness. And so see, the, the point is, uh, originally the, the point was uh, because God's kingdom is better. Why do we serve? Well, because God's kingdom is better than ours. And our kingdom is often filled with pride and selfishness. And Paul addresses that with words like rivalry and conceit. Don't, don't do anything out of rivalry or conceit is what Paul is telling this church in Philippians 2. And I believe that same passage would apply to us today that our hearts are to be right as we serve others, not with rivalry or conceit, that, that our attitudes are to be uh, a servant to others, to, to focus on the needs of others is what Paul says. And so while Paul is describing the importance of unity in the body and how to achieve it, he says the key to this model is humility. And so he says, well, now we're going to talk about how, well, all right, you, you, you've answered the question, what is a servant? You described it, what well, we did together. And then we talked about why we served really briefly. And then we talk about, well, how, how is this modeled? In Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, we're going to all the way to verse 11, and I'll cover these passages with you. Jesus, Paul tells us in this writing that Jesus gave us a great example. He says, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. He's speaking to the church. He says, make your, attitude, your own attitude that, that of Christ Jesus, who 
existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. This is so good. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus gave us the perfect model to follow. So when we say, how is how is serving modeled? How is being a servant really modeled for, for the believer, for the follower of Christ, for the disciple? If you want to grow deeper in your faith and really understand as a, as a disciple and a family member of the family of God, what does being a servant mean for you and I? It means we model humility. It means we model humility. This is what Jesus did. He served others. And this is so pivotal for me as I was reading this passage and, he, and, I'm, and I'm wrapping my mind around the idea that Jesus gave us the perfect model. Jesus served others so that people could be reconciled to the Father. I mean, you think about Jesus. He gave up his rights, his status, his position so that people could be made right with the Father. He modeled what we still get to be a part of today. When, when Jesus humbled himself, I mean, when you read the passage, he, he emptied himself by assuming the form in, in, in the Holman, it says the form of a slave taken on the likeness of men. Another, another translation says he took on the form of a servant. He lowered himself to serve others so that to the point of death on a cross, so that people could be reconciled to God through his service to them. And I want to tell you today, he gave us the perfect model. And I want you to see this. When you serve, you are giving someone an opportunity to get closer to Jesus. I can't stress that enough that, that when you serve, whether it's inside the church or inside the community that you're a part of, I want you to know and understand that when you serve with through humility, that you are literally giving somebody an opportunity to be closer to Jesus. Maybe in a salvation moment, maybe, maybe, maybe you're serving in an, in an area that, that, that gives someone else the freedom to go into a service and they've never experienced life with Christ before and they get to hear the gospel for the very first time. I want you to know, man, woman, or child that may be serving in those environments, that that is an eternal difference that you are making when you serve and you give your time so that somebody else can hear the gospel and they can be reconciled to the Father and they can experience the joy of knowing Jesus as their personal Savior. You get to be a part of that when you serve. Even beyond that, when you serve and, and the disciples, the church, the body of believers gets to gather together, we get to grow in our faith. We get to grow together. We get to understand more about who God is and who he's called us to be and how he wants to use that to transform our lives so that he can use it to transform someone else's. And so no matter how you look at it, when you serve, you are giving somebody an opportunity to be closer to Jesus. That's how Jesus modeled it. He gave us this example. And so then maybe... 
we talk about, so how, all right, I, I get all that, dude, but how do we do it? Well, I'm glad you asked, because God's Word gives us a pretty good example. In John chapter 13, I, I want us to see that, that Philippians 2 talks about how God, uh, how Jesus modeled that in his death, but Jesus not only modeled it in his death on the cross, he also modeled it in his life. In his life, he modeled serving. This is one of the greatest examples of our Savior humbling himself to serve others and setting an example for us. John, if you want to follow along, John chapter 13, he says, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's a great, great promise from, from Christ. Now, by the time of the supper, by the time of supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. And so Jesus, Jesus is confident in who he is. He, he's not wrestling with this. He's not like, man, I don't know what's going on. I, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. He was confident in the plan. So he got up from supper. He laid aside his robe. He took a towel and he tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to, to dry them with a the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you, are you going to wash my feet? It's an interesting question from Peter. Jesus answered, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterward you'll know. He says, you'll never wash my feet ever, Peter said. And Jesus replied, if, if I don't wash you, you don't have any part with me. And so Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. So I think the perspective finally sinking in for Peter to, to kind of understand and one who is bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For, for he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, you are not all clean. And when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? Do you know what I've done for you? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and this is well said, for I am. He says, so if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And it all comes down to this. For I've given you an example that you should also do just as I've done for you. You see, in verse 4 of John chapter 13, Jesus did more than talk about it. Verse 4 says, So he got up from supper, he laid aside his robe, and took a towel and tied it around himself, and then he started washing their feet. You see, what would happen in the world around us? What would happen in the community? What would happen in our homes if instead of hearing the rhetoric about the church and what the church believes and what we're against and, and all those things, instead of just hearing, I'm not saying we don't, we have to share truth. But instead of hearing just words, 
How powerful is it when the world sees a group of people serving in ways that absolutely don't make sense? When we serve as a group of believers, as a body of Christ, is when we serve in ways that probably in some people's eyes don't make sense and maybe even from a status perspective, they're like, bro, I ain't doing that. Well, just imagine the communal impact because Jesus said, I've given you the example. He did, he did more than just talk about it. He didn't just sit around and talk about what needed to happen. He said, I gave you an example. He didn't do it with pomp and circumstance. He didn't stand up in the middle of the, hey, boys, hey, guys, check us out. All eyes on me. Look here. Take your sandals off, boys. I'm about to wash your feet. He didn't do that. He just lived it out. He just took action. He did more than talk about it. And he didn't worry about what people would think. Again, when you read John chapter 13, some of the verses we covered, he's, I know where I'm going. I'm going back to the Father. He knew the plan. He, he, he didn't worry about it. He lowered himself to a, to, a, to a servant standard in the flesh. He's washing their nasty feet. Like, what difference does it make what you say about me now? I'm, I'm just imagining Jesus is in a place, in a posture, not just physically, but in his heart. That says, there's nothing you're really going to think or say about me that's worse than what I'm doing right here. He didn't worry about that. Man, in the church, he had, Jesus had nothing to lose because he knew his identity was secure in the Father. He was doing one of the least desired things possible. What, how about for the church? If we're talking about how we do it, how do we serve based on the model that's been given to us? Like, do we worry sometimes about what people are going to think? Man, if, I mean, if I see, if you come to the church, at the campus that I'm serving at at the time, you may see me out in the parking lot waving and acting crazy during kids' events and student ministry events, I've been known to get a little outside of the box and probably do some crazy stuff and in weird moments that are way different stories. I tried not to think about well, what are people going to think and say. I can tell you, man, our leadership structure and our leadership in the church, Pastor Jeff and Miss Candy and the other staff that we have, I can tell you that this is something in our DNA that we talk about. Man, don't, don't do it because you're worried about what people are going to say or think. Man, do it because it's the right thing. Do it because it's what God called us to do. Jesus basically had an attitude that says, man, what you, what you think or say about me at this point isn't going to hurt me because he was secure in his identity and the Father. He knew who God, he knew who he was and he knew the plan. And he did something that needed to be done. I was in a conversation uh, this week and, and talking about this message and, and one of the guys on our team said, you know, something interesting about the washing of the feet. In, in, in culture at that time, as best we could tell in doing some research, the culture at that time, the feet washing, the washing of the feet would have been done when they came in the house. And so... Think about, it says, it says he got up from supper and laid aside his robe. Jesus literally is in, they are in the middle of the meal. 
They're already eating. The, 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 the washing of the feet should have happened when they came in, but it didn't. And so Jesus saw a need. He saw something that needed to be done. He didn't sit around and grumble about it and go, man, where's this dude? Nobody's like, at least it's not recorded in Scripture. Where's this, where's this, where are the people going to wash your feet, bro? Like, man, I got some, these dogs are dirty. I need, man, y'all, man, I've been walking these nasty streets, man. Y'all, somebody got to wash my feet. Jesus didn't do that. Neither did his disciples for that matter, as far as we can tell. But they should have already had clean feet at this point. But Jesus, Jesus takes action where he saw a need. He jumped in. He, he, he got involved in something that someone else probably should have already done. I just think it's interesting that, that Jesus didn't have to. He chose to. He, he saw a need and he just got involved. And I can tell you that I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter to me what church you're a part of. It doesn't matter to me where you, where you find biblical community. Because there are people who still need to hear the gospel and because there are people who still, like me, who still need to grow in their faith, there's always a need to serve. There's always an opportunity to serve. Jesus seized an opportunity when he saw there was something that he could do that would help people get closer to Christ, to himself, that he could model and set an example for how he wanted these men to come behind him to serve. He seized that. He got involved. And so Jesus told the disciples in John 13, in verse 15, he says, what you've seen me do for you, you do this for others. This is the directive for the disciple of Christ, that we would humble ourselves and serve others, that this glorifies God. And so, pastor, that's great. That's all fine and good. What does that mean for me? I mean, like you've gone through this whole content about modeling service and humility and not out of rivalry or conceit and, and, and God's kingdom is so much better than ours and he's worthy of our praise. You've, you've told us all that, but, and you've talked about, you know, don't talk about it. Just, just find the need and get involved and, 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 and do it with the right heart. You talked all about that. So, bro, what am I supposed to do? Like, what do, you, what, do you, what do you want me to do about it? I want you to do more than talk about it. I'm telling you, the world needs, the world needs the church. The world needs believers who are less concerned about how people see them and more concerned about how they see Jesus. The world needs us church to humble ourselves before God and let him exalt us when the time is right but to humble ourselves and make a way for people to experience life in Christ or to grow deeper in that faith we need to find a a need that lines up with your passions and your giftings man something that that stirs your heart find a way to 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 serve in a way that lines up with your passion and giftings and then put all that together to glorify God by humbling yourself through serving Him and serving others, both in the biblical community and in the community around you. Because here's the takeaway today. See, Jesus modeled humility in the way that He served. We should seek to do the same as we grow deeper in our relationship with Him. And so, do more than talk about it. 
Don't worry about what people are going to say about you. And take the giftings and passions God's given you and put them to work serving others for God's glory. I want to tell you today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the first step in humility would be for you to humble yourself before Christ. To acknowledge that you don't have a relationship with Him. To acknowledge that you may be far from Him today and and that's a relationship that you want. You see, sin is the thing that separates us. And God wants us to humble ourselves before Him. He has forgiven us of our sin. If we will come to Him and press into Him, He will give us His Holy Spirit. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness and make us right before Him. And so we want to give you an opportunity today. If you haven't taken that step, that is your first step. And if you're a part of the church and a body of believers, today is the day for you to find a place that you can serve and humble yourself and make a difference for other people to make a path for somebody to experience Christ in a real and profound way. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Hey, if during this message today, if if there's a, a, a next step that you feel God's pressed on your heart, a way you can serve in the community that you're a part of, or better yet, if you want to talk about what being a follower of Christ, a disciple, you, you struggle with serving maybe because you don't really understand who this Jesus is and and maybe he's wrestling with your heart today and, and this message has prompted you to look inside. I just want to give you an opportunity. We'd love to talk to you about that. We'd love to walk you through that conversation and tell you more about who Christ is and how he came to make a difference in your life and that you can have joy and have it fully, have it completely in Jesus' name. So if you'd follow the promptings on the screen, we'd love to have a conversation with you and be a resource for you. Thanks for joining us. If you made that decision today to say, yes, I do want to choose Jesus. I do want to acknowledge him as my personal Lord and Savior. Congratulations. We could not be more excited for you. And we want to help you in that process and answer any questions that you might have and provide you resources. To do that, simply text Jesus, that's J-E-S-U-S, to 706-449-0870. And one of our pastors on staff will be in touch with you because we want to help you as you walk out your faith. If you thought, you know what, I would like to contribute to all that God is doing in and through Southside. I would like to partner with them. You can do that in three simple ways. First, you can text GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 706-449-0870. Secondly, you can do it on the Southside app in the GIVE tab. Lastly, Southside.online. You can do it through the GIVE section on our website. Thank you so much for being here with us today, and we hope you have a great rest of your week.